button. Welcome listeners, my name is Kira and today I have the pleasure of interviewing Tilan Lechiesa, who is the founder of this podcast, The Leader's Den. Aside from being an empathic and tactful individual, Tilan has not tread lightly throughout her life. Instead, her authentic, passionate and daring nature has led her to lead through unbelievably diverse professional and personal experiences. From working as a human rights lawyer for the United Nations, assisting in war crime prosecutions, pleading a case in front of the Supreme Court in the Netherlands, to flourishing in her own business as a leadership and conflict resolution coach. Described as down to earth, humble, intelligent, and a natural people person, today we will hear from Tilan herself on her leadership journey and on her belief that great leaders are made and not born. So let's get into it. So Tilan, how did you start your journey with leadership? Oh, well, first of all, thanks for this amazing introduction. So I guess I started my journey as a leader without knowing it. So I think the biggest thing is that it's also something I hear from a lot of other people that we don't really realize that we are a leader um, because we're not a leader by title uh, at some point in our career. And so... I guess when I started working as a barrister when I was 24, I didn't think I was a leader, but actually I was because I had to lead my clients. I had to lead myself. I had to um, influence, negotiate um, for better outcomes for, for my clients. So in hindsight, that's where I started my leadership role, but I didn't see it at the time. Yeah, 24 is a very young age to be um, put into the deep end like that. And yeah, because your your concept that um, great leaders are made and not born is such a humble approach because a lot of time in the leadership space, there's this conversation of, um, you know, you're either a leader or you're a follower and everything in between. So you actually found that you had to make yourself more of a leader through your experiences? Yeah, so the the idea that some people are born and are natural leaders um, was something I believed as well because that was just something people said. But the more I worked on leadership and in leadership and with leaders, I started to realize that even if you look at like people that I really look up to, as in Nelson Mandela or... Jacinta Ardern or, or or people, they they weren't born like that. They had to work hard on their skills. With Nelson Mandela, I always feel like he was 26 years, you know, in captivity, as the song goes, that um, I used to sing uh, a lot in the 80s, I think. Like, and all that time, he really worked on fine-tuning his skills that in the end, he did the impossible, which was actually negotiating with his own, the people who kept him in prison for so long negotiated his release. And so it's it's not true. I know that I am a people's person, as you said. So I have some, some skills that come easier to me, some of the leadership skills, but others like, you know, not 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 being a, a a people's pleaser or making hard decisions are things that you really need to practice and consciously decide to work on so nobody's born like that and just it comes automatically 
Yeah, so for those who are interested in um, strengthening their leadership muscles, what would you say are some essential qualities of inspiring leadership? Oh, gosh. Um, I think that it's just really important that it starts with you and that I always say there's the three three pillars to leadership that's leading yourself, leading others and leading transformation. And I think it starts with, first of all, to dare to see yourself as a leader. Most people, even people that I coach who are in leadership positions, they still don't really see themselves as a leader. But even if you're not in a leadership position, just to see that you are leading, you're first of all leading yourself, but you're also often a role model for people that you're not aware of. It could be your children, it could be the girl next door, it could be someone you work with. And just to understand who am I? What is important for me? What are my values? Because I believe that if we are living in alignment with our values, then um, we can be our authentic self and we can really shine. And it's finding out who you are, what makes you tick, and um, start living a life according to that instead of trying to constantly please everyone else. Yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty fascinated when it comes to how you said you work with, you know, people who maybe practice leadership every day and they might still doubt their position as a leader. And it sort of ties in with that whole imposter syndrome. And do you think imposter syndrome is something that leaders experience? Does it go away? Does it stay? Or Yeah, it's interesting because I think, from the statistics, it's something like 70% of people have imposter syndrome. And it's that feeling that one day somebody's going to knock on your door and going to call you out and say, hey, Tilan Lahiyata, you think you're a leadership expert? Well, let me tell you and I'll expose you. And so I always kind of joke that if you don't have it, um, it might be that there's something up with you and you have, might have some kind of personality disorder. <laughs> but um, it is just something that 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 a lot of us have. And so um, it happens to me and um, it's, sorry, what was the second part of the question? Like you said, does it go away? Oh, does or... it go away? I think, I think there's ways to work on it and to become more aware of it and to learn to live with it and not have it keep you hostage. Mm -hmm. So is there a cure for the imposter syndrome? There probably is, but it takes it takes work and especially like inner work. And I guess it's it's the whole concept that um, we are afraid that one day we're going to be found out or we are worried what other people think of it. I know for myself, it is a, a probably work in progress and I, I am not sure if I, I will ever be there. The other um, expression that I really like is next level, next devil. So once you are where you feel really comfortable and then you think, yeah, I've got it, uh, no worries. And then before you know it and you step up again and you do something else and you again, this little imposter syndrome uh, or the gremlins in your head with a little voice who's telling you you're not good enough. So it's uh, it's a fascinating thing. I feel like we're 
the, our whole life we're constantly battling our own brain, which is our biggest friend and also our biggest enemies at times. Yeah, well, it's so nice to hear you actually opening up about, you know, more so like the vulnerable aspects of being a leader because um, there's a lot of conceptions in society that leaders are these hard-headed, take, you know, no crap from anyone sort of, you know, personalities. But how do you think vulnerability plays into leadership? Hmm. Yeah, I think, I think, of course, now um, I am almost showing my age now, like I've been on the planet for a while. And like in the, in the last century, there was a different leadership style that was really kind of accepted. And that was like that strong leader. I now prefer, like to refer to it like the Saddam Hussein kind of leadership style. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we see now, thankfully, in 2023, that that is no longer the style that leaders can use. Definitely, there are still leaders, and I meet them, that are using it, but it's not a style from, from nowadays anymore. And having worked on war crimes, um, I know that those people like Saddam Hussein um, and a lot of other leaders have actually paid a price. Uh, uh, Muammar Gaddafi, um, the people in the Balkans, um, they paid a price for that leadership style. So the nowadays, we know that we live in a what we call VUCA world, a very complex, volatile world world where many things are happening and we can't be that leader anymore and leader can't be the be all and end all and so leader needs to be vulnerable and needs to be able to show people that it's okay that you don't know everything and that there's things that um you can't resolve and that you depend on your team and that is far more powerful than just acting as if you know it all and having like reigning with an iron fist yeah well definitely you know vulnerability helps to connect with individuals but do you think there's a level of professional boundaries that should be maintained to be taken I guess seriously as a leader or just in the workplace in general? Yeah, absolutely. So great question. So the first of all, I think I like, there's a Harvard article that I always refer to, and it says we want our leaders to be warm because you mentioned the word connection. And so we want our leaders to be able to connect to people. But mm-hmm. at the same time, if, if we have leaders who are cold, who can't connect with people, I see it time and time again when I work with teams and organizations that people can't connect to cold leaders. So we want our leaders to be warm, but we also want our leaders to be strong. So the reality is that if you are only warm and only fluffy, and then people don't really feel safe with you. So you need to be strong as in having difficult conversations, holding people accountable and setting boundaries. So the idea is sometimes people have this strange idea that I often see when I uh, do mediations that a leader is like a, a different human being or something and doesn't have any vulnerabilities and so on and or or can take anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, of course, is not true. Um, but at the same time, I do feel that as a leader, 
especially for instance, when you are working with peers and then you become their leader, is one of those situations where you do have to change your boundaries because you have to lead by example. So if you used to gossip at uh, at the uh, what is it called the water cooler and um which actually gossiping can be very bad but can also be good if it's done um as a form of bonding and and not negative but that 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 changes when you become a leader you have to have professional boundaries and you have to yeah role model what it is what communication looks like what the work culture looks like and yeah setting boundaries is so important in in all aspects of life yeah that's yeah it's a good fine balance between being vulnerable and not spending your entire workplace hearing everyone's stories about their personal yeah. lives and everything and yeah, and, and the interesting thing is because I work so much with teams where there's low morale or where they want to increase their performance, and there are some leaders out there who share everything, and mm-hmm. the feedback I always get is people don't like it. If yeah. you are a leader who's constantly being ex- extremely vulnerable and, and crying and sharing everything, um, that, that doesn't work well. So it's that boundary between you know you are a human being you have emotions and um you have your own boundaries but yeah at the same time you need to yeah be strong and Mm -hmm. and and um don't overshare that that's all i can i can say yeah you know maybe remain focused on the main sort of objective of the company as well as being warm and an engaging human being um but I'm interested before you said how um, leaders are, you know, sometimes they have the impression that the is all end all and they, they know it all. And um, there's a lot of sort of teams that function on deriving every single piece of information or advice from their leader. How do you think delegating comes into play in leadership? Yeah. So I think once we have our own leadership together and we feel confident and I always like to kind of refer to being like a a gum tree since moving to Australia, I really uh, like gum trees because they are they're rooted in the ground, but they also can withstand um, fires, droughts, extreme heat. And um, so maybe a limb will fall off it or a branch will be, you know, damaged but in the end they know who they are and they provide shelter for animals and so once we have that we actually really need to the next level of leadership is to nurture other people and empower them to become leaders so one of the 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 mistakes we make and i made it myself and a lot of the people that i coach have problems with it is delegating because often we know if we do it, it gets done and it gets done well. And so we've done it before. You can wake me up at two o'clock at night. I'll do it. And someone else is going to take them three hours and you need to go through the report and you need to change it or sit with them Mm -hmm. and a lot of time. But the joy of being a leader is that you can help empower others and help them feel more confident about themselves. And so delegation and making mistakes is really important for leaders and create new leaders. So ultimately that when you walk away or if you go on holidays, that you're not the be all and end all. And um, 
the helplessness, the self-helplessness, but that your your team can function with you and that you see a new generation of leaders coming up who who you can help and coach. Yeah, it does sound like that, you know, that tactic is more creating a high functioning team that, you know, um, is more sustainable in the long and not that you've got, you know, your kids are sick or you're sick and you're off for two weeks and everything just turns horrible <laughs> and complete dysfunction takes over so do you have any other tips for um maintaining like high functioning teams is there anything within communication that is important to maintain yeah i think what happens a lot is that we're so busy nowadays that everyone is working so hard and there's so many crisis situations and so i like to call it like that we have to work on the business and not just in the business. So as a leader, if you're constantly just doing the work, then you're not using your leadership to the to the right potential because what you need to do is actually um, have a vision and work on that vision and make sure that even though it's crazy and everyone's running around, that they you can share that vision, ask people to come on board with the vision and, and help them contribute to that. And so that's often things people don't do because they don't have time for it. It sounds so simple, mm -hmm. but that's often, it's just like that team building, the building the foundation, the you know, the what we call the forming, norming, storming uh, sessions that are really important. And what I often see is people don't have time for it. So even people in high level positions, when I coach with them and I ask, what's your vision? They, they don't really know what their vision is because they have so much on their mind that they haven't made time for the vision. If you don't see the vision, then how can your people see the vision? So it's a bit like, you're standing in front of a, a piece of of ground and it's all mud and somebody looks at it and thinks, oh my God, you know, muddy, useless place. Mm -hmm. And someone else stands in front of it and says, hey, I can see a community garden here and this is going to be a, a center for this. And, you know, we're going to have a little petting zoo there. And, yeah, yeah. and people start looking at it. Oh yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And that's what I mean with a vision. And people want to understand what are they doing why are they doing it and mm -hmm. um, instead of just getting stuck in their little thing they have to do yeah and with that whole um yeah the whole vision in a workplace as well um especially with your multicultural background i'm interested to think like um how do you think cross-cultural communication built into leadership do you think leaders should have a capacity to understand the diversity within their employees i think that really depends on 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 yeah your own experiences like you know i've been lucky enough to work for the united nations for 12 years so yeah. there's not many many nationalities that I haven't met and so I think what my so so I have this cultural competence that is through lived experience and not everyone will have that but mm -hmm. if you are aware 
that there are cultural differences and that you need to understand that. Say, for instance, you know, you've never been outside of your own country. That is maybe more challenging than if you are uh, someone like me who has worked with so many different mm -hmm. uh, nationalities. But then, you know, diversity in the workplace is so incredibly important. And we tend to, as leaders, uh, not not as leaders, as, as people in general, we tend to kind of go for the people who are like us, but it's just so much more powerful if we have people from different uh, backgrounds. And just what the one thing I've learned from working in so many different countries and with people with so many different nationalities is that we're actually all very much the same. So there are cultural differences, but as humans, we are all the same. So just to understand what the cultural differences are um, will help you to be able to tap into anybody. But in the end, it's not that difficult. So yeah. for me, I always try to understand like a bit more about the culture of another person and ask about mm -hmm. that and don't... Um, don't use culture or not understanding the culture or they're from a different culture as a kind of an excuse. Have that curiosity and also um, check because I've often had people say, oh, in our culture is this and this. And then I checked with people and they say, nah, that's not true. Yeah. That's just somebody. So, and we can learn so much from, from, from our cultures. Yeah, so in in what certain ways do you think that having um you know a diverse range of staff can strengthen your team just to be specific? Ooh, it, it's just because we are always having to look at how can we do things differently and we're working with people and so different cultures have different approaches. So you have cultures where they're very like individual minded. There's cultures where it's more about the team and about the group. And so we can learn something from every culture. If I look at myself now, I feel like I've picked things from, from the different cultures that I worked with and, you know, my Dutch culture, my Australian culture, things I learned um, in, on, in the Balkans, things I've learned in Cambodia, things I've learned from working with the UN. I just kind of pick, pick everything. But also that whole white privilege thing is coming to an end. And I, I for one, am very grateful for that. So we need to just acknowledge that um, there's so much we can learn and that the voice of the minority, I often say, is is very important. And um, you want to have a team where everyone feels listened to, feels, feels heard and contributes. And no matter their background, no matter their um, role in the team and no matter their, their cultural ethnicity. Yeah, I think, you know, as soon as people feel that they're valued and respected, you get the most out of them because they're actually like, hey, you know, I want to be here and I'm enjoying connecting with you and everyone. Um, and just about diversity, when it comes to leadership, you often hear like, oh, there's uh, these different leadership styles. And I know you touched on that before. Um, and just about, I heard you say that, being yourself and being your authentic leadership is like you know a recipe for strong leadership so do you believe there are different leadership styles is there 
a one size fits all or is that something that has to come from within to make your own leadership style no the the thing is that as a leader you need to be flexible and so you may have your own style but you need to use different styles at different times just the same with communication so you may have or conflicts resolution so you may have a certain default style but you need to be able to use different styles at different times so when you are forming a team it might be that you need to use a different approach than when you have a team that is already working for a long time together or if you are a very collaborative person and you have a team member who is not collaborative at all and who needs to be held responsible you you'll have to adapt your leadership style so the whole idea is that you need to look at the context at the case and the scenario and change your style when needed okay so it's like a more individualized approach yeah for the best solution for that certain time yeah um and, and as well what I wanted to know was that with leadership it's often this sort of I don't know, an isolated views that leaders are, you know, on the top of the hierarchy alone, not really engaging with anyone else. But what you do for work is you connect with leaders all the time um, and witness leaders connecting with each other. So what do you think is the benefit about leaders getting in active communication and connection with other leaders? Yeah, I think often what happens is that leadership is like a lonely position because often often as a leader, you don't want to put all the pressures towards your team. And sometimes, you know, either whether you're completely at the top or in your middle ma management, you don't get the support that you deserve, but you give all the support to your team. So often what I see is that leaders are carrying um, in an enormous load on their shoulders and they feel very lonely. They don't come home and tell everything that has happened during the day to, to their partners if they have a partner. So it's a lonely position. And that's why I've always been keen to have communities of peers and leaders where they can actually be vulnerable because you can not always, we discussed that already, be completely vulnerable as a leader. Um, and so that you can meet with other leaders and realize this is what I love about putting leaders from different parts of the world together, whether you're working in a remote community in Australia or you're in Scotland or in Mexico, as a leader, you all have the same issues. Yeah. And so that really connects people together. And so often when people say, oh, I've got a really difficult staff member, I've tried everything and, you know, and then other people say, I have the same. And they're like, oh my gosh, you know, yeah. I thought I was on my own. And I'm always like, no, you're not, because I see this all the time. But just to, he to hear it from other leaders is nice. And it's also a lot of the people I work with are high achievers and they can be really harsh for themselves. And mm -hmm. so they're very kind to their staff and they try to work do everything but then they're not very kind for themselves so just to realize that um as a leader yes you're doing a lot and you need to put your own oxygen mask on first as well yeah well it sounds so good connecting everyone and because like you said leadership is although it feels like a solo position it is sort of like a, a universal experience and then 
having all these perspectives and insights and experiences from fellow leaders. Yeah, and it's a journey. You're never there. So I will never be there. So it's not like, oh, I'm on top of the mountain. I'm the best leader I could ever be. Nothing's ever bad is going to happen. I've got everything under control. I'm. Please contact me if you are one of those people, but I've never really <laughs> met anyone um, who is like that. It's a journey. And if you embrace leadership and the, the fact that we're on this planet to grow and to serve, then you can just become better and doing that with other leaders and, you know, growing together, learning together, learning from each other is is just amazing. Yeah. So when it comes to burning out in the workplace, um, you know, leaders obviously have a lot of responsibilities. It's a high sort of contact job with people of all sorts of different personalities and, you know, maybe even just dealing with some really high, highly stressful situations. So for yourself and what you've observed um, with other leaders, what are sort of some strategies that you use to prevent burning out? Yeah. So first of all, just to be really aware that that is a a real thing. And I think I often say that that was very obvious to me because when I started in my law firm when I was 24, almost the same week, the senior uh, partner in the law firm actually woke up and couldn't walk anymore for 10 days. So it was no medical explanation other than that he had a burnout. So that was a great um, thing for me to experience in the 90s as my first job that you could actually get a burnout so I I think I've had a lot of things happening in my personal life and in my professional life but I've been really lucky that I've never come to burnout because I think it always has been something that I thought that's not going to happen to me so it's just being having that awareness and um practice self-care I have a thing that I do which is a resilience plan constantly checking in with yourself and 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 recognizing what the symptoms are and and then being able to say okay I need to take some distance I need some help maybe go have some therapy I also do uh, a lot of reflective practices also with groups and teams um, because, of course, having worked on war crimes and with a lot of refugees and um, domestic violence, these are really heavy things that you need to kind of process. And um, yeah, so I can talk about this actually for for a few hours. So, But yeah, just it starts with awareness and having a, a um, a plan in place and, and just recognize it for yourself. Is there any specific symptoms that you notice in leaders that signify burnout? Um, I think when you're completely feeling overwhelmed and, and um, that is very easy because I don't know any leader these days anymore who knows like, oh, I can go home and all my emails have been attended to. Everything is, you know, like the empty desk or something. Mm -hmm. I don't think that exists anymore. And then I think you need to be aware of how does that, how does, how, how do it, does it show with me, for Mm -hmm. me? So for instance, I know if I start 
you know, binge watching Netflix yeah. and some really silly show, not so, like a, a, a useful documentary. Um, what was it? Below Deck or something yeah. like something. If, if I said, Tila, you've just watched like six, six episodes of Below Deck. I think this is actually a sign that yeah. you're you're really going or you know uh, you, you start opening a bottle of wine at five o'clock uh, yeah. and but everyone has different or you might might start being grumpy at your partner or you just need to know what it is for you and so that's yeah. that self-leadership that you help yourself to manage that and to seek help yeah well we're gonna wrap this up pretty soon so I have one final question for you and that is just what are some key leadership lessons that you've learned throughout your career oh gosh um so I think the yeah like I said is just to to look at what you are doing and just to start seeing that you are a leader even for those people who are not in a leadership position and to also then um decide for yourself like how do I want to show up as a leader so constantly I'm always checking in what do I think is a good leader and then I check in every day like is this what I'm doing at this moment right now is that good leadership is that how I want to show up Mm -hmm. and if I'm not then I need to kind of change that so that's really important then the other thing is just to be kind to yourself and to accept that nobody is perfect and that it's okay to make mistakes. I think a big lesson for me was about, I was pretty good with boundaries because, you know, I think starting as a barrister, uh, I was good with professional boundaries, but I wasn't really good with personal boundaries. So I had to learn that. And just to accept that when you are a leader, there you have to say no. And you need to make decisions. And um, I had a great mentor who said better a bad decision than no decision. And that not everybody's going to like you. And that's okay. That you don't look for your approval from without, uh, from outside all the time, mm-hmm. but you look from within. And the way I have the toothbrush test. So when I'm brushing my teeth um, and I look myself in the mirror if I know that I've done the best I can, then that's good enough. Um, but if I know that I could have done better, I need to go back and and do Reasons. better. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much, Tilan, for having me today. And I'm looking forward to hearing more of the Leadership Den episodes in the future. So all the best to you and your leadership. So, yeah, that's it. Perfect. Thanks so much for interviewing me. This was really nice because we didn't practice. So I wasn't really sure what I was going to to get. But thank you so much. You had some great questions. And I just also, yeah, hope uh, that people will start uh, liking and um, um, registering for this podcast. And also you can hop over to tilanlegeerse.com and there's some some uh, free stuff that you can look into some of the things that can help you with your, your leadership uh, stuff. And if you're interested in uh, one of our programs, then um, let me know. So thank you so much, Kira. I loved doing this with you. Thank you. Bye.